Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Well, here we are. We're getting close to the end of the liturgical year, so it is that time where we are reflecting on the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. It's something that I've done a couple of times on the program. I'm going to launch off of the Catechism of the Catholic Church to dig into these themes a bit more fully. And I'm also going to take up something that has become a little bit of a controversial point, and that is, dare we hope that all human beings, all people, be saved? What is that all about? Back in a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. DrTomCurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we do love you and thank you and praise you for all the ways that you watch over us and take care of us and that you are at work in our midst today. Lord, I ask that you would truly bless us with all the good gifts that we need, Lord, that we would look to heaven as our true home, that we would not fear death, that we would look forward to the reality of going home to you, that we were made for heaven, and that's what we long for here on earth. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's some uh, events in my life, and I use that term intentionally, events in my life that stand out as particularly rich, or dense. There was a density to the event. And the density of the event was such that time seemed to, I don't know, extend. Time seemed, or maybe slow down. Maybe is a better way of saying it. And and these aren't like all extraordinary events. Like one of them was my parents' 30th wedding anniversary. That was in 1993. I was back from Boston, uh, back from Rome. I was at that point living in Washington, D.C., and I had come back, and my brothers and sisters had put together a wonderful party for my parents at our home. And I just remember that it was a time in our lives, a kind of a stage or a moment in our lives, where um, each of the, the current kids were like now in adulthood, Right, we now had made it to adulthood and were sort of flourishing in our own ways, each in our own ways. Not that everything had been settled and everything was perfect, but we were getting along well. We'd kind of gotten beyond the teen squ- uh, squabbles and and uh, and uh, arguments and all of that. It, it just we had kind of found our way, and it all came together at this really beautiful celebration of my parents' 30th wedding anniversary. I just remember that, you know, we had all these cousins over. My Just on my mom's side, there were like 50 first cousins and big Italian families all coming together. 
And I just have these like distinct memories of just sort of sitting there in the backyard, lights on and just cousins around and just feeling like it was all good. There was this like beautiful communion of persons, this beautiful sort of union of the family. And it just sticks out to me that that night, it just... Uh, because of the the like I, we were I, I, we were celebrating uh, my parents and celebrating just family and families coming together. It was just beautiful. It was profound and and just time extended, time extended. It just seemed to, uh, or again I say extended and slow down. It just like there was a richness and a depth to that celebration. Now. Shortly after that, my family experienced some trials, tribulations, and difficulties, and and uh, some moving in different directions for sure. But in that in that ev- the moment, that moment had a density to it that was really powerful. Okay, that was that was like a big deal one, right? But the other ones I can refer to are moments that had an event quality because they, again, seemed to extend, like they went on and on, and yet it felt so brief, and it was a richness to them. Uh, one was, believe it or not, just the weirdest thing of all, was just playing basketball. Just playing basketball with my friends, like in a gym. And we'd play together for a couple of hours, and this is, again, when I felt like there was a maturity, a gracefulness, a... I, I think I was probably at like the height of my own abilities as a basketball player and just like going with the flow, right? There was sort of a flow of the game. And I just can remember in the midst of it, like, wow, we've been playing for hours and, and it just doesn't feel like that. It just feels like time both slowed down and time went by so fast. And what were the common themes? It was this sense of like, there was this harmony, there was this coordination. There was this sense of, of mastery and gracefulness that was just there on the court um, and just playing with my friends. Uh, it was just so rich. Um, that's the second one. Uh, a third one was even, uh, again, a simpler event. It was playing catch baseball, uh, playing catch in the backyard with my dad. And I loved playing baseball. Uh, my dad would regularly come to games that I played growing up. And however, he worked very hard. He had um, typically more than one job going on in our early years and then worked very hard in the construction industry, building buildings. And um, and so he didn't have as much time as maybe our we kids desired to have him just play with us, just hang around with us. And he was more quiet. My mom's personality was bigger. But I have a distinct memory of being in the backyard with him and having about, must have been about, you know, 75 to 100 feet uh, between us and just playing catch, throwing the ball back and forth. And I remember I felt so good about that because I I knew I had a little bit of skill at baseball and so I could throw the ball to him strong and, and well. And yet, he threw the. He, I can still remember he threw fastball to me and it stung my hand and it hurt. But I remember smiling like that's so cool. My dad threw a fastball and he threw a curveball and it curved and it was right to me. And I was like, this is my dad. I've never played catch with him, and and here he is 
playing catch with me. I must have been, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. Uh, and again, it was just like time stood still. And yet it was also a rich experience that it just felt like it went on and on, even though it probably only lasted, I don't know, 20 minutes, a half an hour. All right. Are you going to be, are you beginning to see some of the themes that show up in these things? Some the themes that show up here are this sense of, I use the word in the midst of describing one of them, a communion of persons, a union that exists between two people, and yet it comes out into the open. It comes to expression through this mutuality. Literally in the baseball, the back and forth, <laughs> the circulation, uh, uh, that ball representative of the I am giving of myself to you, you receive me, and in receiving me, you then affirm and confirm that I am important to you, I am here with you, you acknowledge me, and then you in return, return the ball, <laughs> and in returning the ball, you are, you are participating, you're joining in, and so there's that circulation. Boy, did you ever hear playing catch described like that? <laughs> and yet, this the same is kind of up at a, a little bit of a higher, more complicated level, but in basketball, everyone plays their part. They run the play. They move around. The, the gracefulness of a ball being passed, uh, you know, around and, and people uh, uh, picking, pick and roll, give and go, shooting the ball, getting a rebound, fast break, right? All of those things is sort of like knowing your part, knowing your role, playing your part, using your gifts, recognizing your limits, um, getting uh, the ball into the position where the other person has the gifts. So there's this, again, mutuality, this acknowledgement, this communion, and it brings a sense of richness, of joy, of life. There's a, a kind of freedom here in using your gifts uh, in that masterful way. Okay, then expand it up even uh, more more profoundly and in the bigger event of the anniversary and you have this sense of celebration affirmation um this beautiful sense of acknowledgement of a um of an achievement of 30 years of married life and married love uh and being part being caught up in that being caught up in that as a son with other children honoring mom and dad bringing together family to celebrate again all of that and there's love gratitude. There is uh, praise and, and, and affirmation, gift-giving, right? So many beautiful things there. Okay, all of those, all of those beautiful experiences that we have on earth are glimpses and expressions of our deepest nature as human beings created in the image of God. Because we're created in the image of a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're created in the image of the God, the one and only true God, who is three persons and one divine being. And the three persons in one divine being share a communion of life and love, a union of life and love. And in this intimate, perfect, eternal, infinite, communion of persons, there is a mysterious radiance of what is glorious, majestic, and divine, holy, and beautiful, harmonious, and beautifully, perfectly ordered, a circulation of mutual acknowledgement, 
of, uh, of being in such uh, mutually um, what perfect, perfect and perfected relationship, right? Where the father is father because of the son, and the Son is Son because of the Father. And the Spirit is the witness, the attestation, the communion of them both. And so you have this inner life of the Trinity manifest in how we as human beings created in the image of God. We were made for communion. And yet we experience every day the limits, the brokenness, the disaster, the betrayals of communion, betrayals of the way that we are called upon to acknowledge one another, to respect one another, to make space for one another, to receive one another, to celebrate, to confirm, and to extend ourselves for the sake of the other. Right? We see the fruits of the disaster of original sin and of personal sin. That's what we experience here on earth. And so when we glimpse, when we taste, when we are able to share in, when we're able to participate in something of that communion uh, that we were made for here on earth in, in very human ways, right? At one level, these are very human things, baseball, basketball, um, uh, and is celebrating a wedding anniversary. At one level, they're very human things, and yet human beings are created in the image of God. And we express that not only as individuals, but even more perfectly, so says St. John Paul II, when we are together with others, but together with others in a way that is expressive of communion. And so I I use this extended introduction because I'm going to bet that you, in your own life, will smile at some of those examples because you share in them. You may not, maybe it doesn't involve sports for you. Maybe it involves music, uh, playing musical instruments, singing together harmoniously as a family around the piano. Maybe it's in performance, dancing, dancing together, uh, or being involved in the arts, uh, or maybe it's being involved in the uh, working with your hands, being involved in a trade or building something, working on projects together, right? These are all, again, similar ways of saying human beings standing together in order to perform a good, to accomplish a mission, to, to do something that is uh, beautiful, helpful, noble, uh, honorable, holy, right? These are all things that show that we are created in the image of God, but they also point to what we are ultimately called to. Ultimately, we're called to the unending, perfect communion of life and love together with each other in the very presence of God. That we who are created to live life here on earth we were called and created to be on earth as on a journey, as on a way to our ultimate destination. And we sense it because we sense God's presence. And tasting it here, the temptation is to want to make this place home, to want to say, look at how good life on earth can be, when in fact 
what all, all that we've done is we have imported some of what we were made for in heaven, made to experience in a full, final, complete, perfect way in heaven. And, and if we can do that, if we can make that shift to realize that we have that ache in our hearts, that restlessness in our hearts, and the restlessness is for the communion we have with God, when we will behold him face to face in heaven and behold him together in great acts of praise and worship, of adoration and enjoyment in this great, mysterious communion of the saints, a communion of persons in Christ. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. So what I just did in the first part of the program was I attempted to draw upon authentic and profound human experiences that each of us have had in our own way, right? Some of you have had them more extensively than I have. Maybe some of you, they've been a rarer thing, but you understand them. You understand the concept of experiencing a deep sense of connection, of solidarity, of life, sharing of life and love together in a way that brings light and peace and joy uh, here on earth. And that's what we were made for. But we also experience the partial, the broken, the, uh, the, 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 the dimensions of this that are so limited. And all of those things are meant to point us to a redemption for ourselves, a freedom from the slavery of bondage to sin and death, bondage to sin and its ultimate consequences in death and separation from God, that which Christ won for us. And so our call is heaven. Our call is heaven. And so listen to the, what the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says about heaven. It says that those who die in God's grace and friendship are perfectly purified, live forever with Christ. They are like God forever, for they see him as he is face to face. This perfect life with the most holy trinity, this communion of life and love with the Trinity. There it is, that communion of persons were created in the image of God, but now drawn to heaven, that communion of life and love with the Trinity, the ultimate union that we have, uh, with the communion of life and love with the Trinity, with the Virgin Mary, the angels, and all the blessed, is called heaven. Heaven is the ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longings the state of supreme, definitive happiness. That's paragraph 1023 and 1024, 1024 I just read. That, all those desires, all those things where we experience that joy here on earth, they're pointers towards heaven. And there's only one way to get from here to heaven. <laughs> We've got to go through the door of death. We've got to go through that door of death. And so to live in heaven is... To be with Christ, this is paragraph 1025, the elect live in Christ, but they retain or rather find their true identity, their own name. And so there's a way in which this idea of discovering or finding our own name is a beautiful tradition in our, in our, it comes from the scriptures and it, it gets born out in the course of 2000 years of tradition that 
we come to discover who we really are by gazing upon the face of God. Gazing upon the face of Christ now, we come to know, but imperfectly, who we are in his eyes, who we are in his mind. But in seeing him, we not only come to know him, know him as a mystery, but know him as personal mystery, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we also come to know who we are. You'll come to know your deepest and most authentic name, how God names you. For who you are is the one that you are in God and in his presence. And so you see elements of that in the scriptures where Jacob, his name becomes Israel, Abe becomes Abraham, Paul, Saul becomes Paul, Simon becomes Peter. So there's this transformative, this this transformation that takes place in the face-to-face encounter with the Lord that includes an unveiling, a revelation, a manifestation of who you really are as denoted by your name. And that actually continues. You'll see in the book of Revelation, again, if you're going to daily mass these days, you hear about the letters, seven letters to the seven churches, and in one of the letters it talks about, uh, and then you'll come to to know the name, that one name that only uh, you know, you will come to know that'll be revealed to you in heaven, uh, your authentic name. There's also a, a recent saint from a contemporary of uh, the little flower, St. Therese. She actually... She died um, a decade or two afterwards. Her name's uh, now Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity. And she, in her own deep contemplative prayer, um, had it revealed to her that in heaven her name would be a praise of his glory. That was her heavenly name revealed to her here on earth. On earth, she was Elizabeth of the Trinity. That was her religious name. Uh, But it was uh, unveiled to her that she would be a praise of his glory, uh, laudum gloriae, uh, that that's, that's her name, that's who she is. Taken from, uh, I believe it's Ephesians 1, in reading that, there was this <gasps> revelation, re- revealing moment to her that that's who I am. You even sense it in little things like uh, the, the little flower saying, as she contemplated the body of Christ, that's it. I will be love in the heart of the church. That's my name. That's who I am. That's where I belong. That's what I was created to be. I was created to be the heart, the the heart that sends, that courses throughout the body, the blood that keeps the body alive. I will be love in the heart of the church. And so that's one of the, the things that we will look forward to is beyond all senses of partial understanding of who we are, all senses of surface understandings of who we are, we will come to know in the depths who we really are in his sight, created in his image and likeness. But not only ourselves, also each other. So uh, listen to what it says here. It says that... um, the in the glory of heaven, the blessed can uh, continue joyfully to fulfill God's will in relation to other men and to all creation. Already they reign with Christ; with Him they shall reign forever and ever. 
This mystery of blessed communion with God and all who are in Christ is beyond all understanding and description. I just love that. This mystery of blessed communion with God and all who are in Christ is beyond all understanding and description. Scripture speaks of it in images, life, light, peace, wedding feast, wine of the kingdom, the Father's house, the heavenly Jerusalem, paradise. And then there's a quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And so this idea of not only coming to know who we are, but coming to know who each other is as well. And so in the end, what the church says is there are two ultimate mysteries, the mystery of the Blessed Trinity and the mystery of the communion of saints. And there is an inexhaustible quality to both of those mysteries, believe it or not. Um, even though we are finite creatures created in God's image, there is a, a kind of um, uh, incomplete knowability of any one of us. There's a mystery. There's a dimension of mystery to each of us. And I know you must sense that. You you can't really be a, um, uh, a husband or a father for long or a wife or a mother for long without bumping up against the quality of mystery that is present in your spouse and in each of your children. As, as deeply as you know each or any of your children or your spouse the more that you also come to know how much more there is to know. And then there's the humble recognition how much more there is to know that you will never, ever have an opportunity to know just because of the limitations of time, the limitations of the capacity of self-disclosure or the willingness to disclose um, the, the the secrets of the heart. And, and, and there's just sort of a... Um, a not taking oneself too seriously, not uh, trying to exhaust or control um, any other human life, that there is a, uh, a letting be, a letting be of the mystery of the other human being that you're privileged to walk through life on earth with. Um, speaking somewhat philosophical there, a little bit poetic, <laughs> maybe. Um, but what am I doing? I'm trying to foster in you a a realization of the the beauty and the goodness and the truth of heaven to give you a hunger for that, that talking about these four last things and talking so regularly as I do about the, the challenges that we face as a church and the need to be purified and, and to be um, more uh, courageous as a church, as well as the darkening times in which we're living. Uh, you know, those messages can obscure our attention or draw us away from what ought to be a regular point of reflection for us, which is time passes quickly. We are headed towards our ultimate destination, towards going home to be with God forever. And that is our joy. That is our desire. That's what we were made for. That's not something to avoid or to fear. That is something to um, to look towards. And, and the more that we can realize that, and this is something the saints exhibit all the time. I talked about it yesterday on the program. The more that they have Christ alive in their hearts, in their minds, the more that they sense his living presence, the living presence of our Almighty Father who is beyond us and manifested in the world, 
the, all, uh, the Almighty King and Lord who is with us, Emmanuel, in the, in the course of our days and the events that we face, and the Spirit who is Lord and giver of life within us, who's prompting us and moving us, we realize that God is everywhere. He is within us, He is with us, and He's beyond us. He's all around us. We are encompassed by the presence of God, and that should make us feel safe. That should make us feel joy. That should make us feel, uh, in, in a sense, uh, protected from uh, the momentary challenges, difficulties, even pains and sufferings of the here and now because of what we await is sure and firm. We have confidence. We've got deep hope, firm hope, hope with a foundation and a profound trust in our God, a trust in our Lord who is here to take care of us and whose love flows through us. And so faith, hope, and love become so fundamental to living life well, more than riches, power, fame. Faith, hope, and love give us direction, give us a sense of meaning, give us a sense of purpose in life. You can have faith, hope, and love without any possessions, and that will bring you a sense of peace where having all of the power, fame, and wealth that the world can offer without faith, hope, and love is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for life that is excruciatingly empty in the most uh, important ways um, if faith, hope, and love are not present. And so uh, in the end, what lasts are not fame, not power, not position, not wealth. Uh, People pass on. They move on and how quickly they're forgotten. But the ones who endure, the ones who have an impact that endures, are those who love, those who live in the love of the Lord and live lives where God's love is poured forth through them. St. John of the Cross is famous for um, one of his famous, uh, one of his famous quotes is, at the evening of life, we shall be judged on love. At the evening of life, we shall be judged on our love one of his sayings and you can see how he again if you if we believe that when we think about getting close to the end of our lives when we think about how we want to live this life and what do we want our lives to be when we get to the end of them it really comes down to faith hope and love it really comes down to honoring the lord our god knowing him loving him serving him day to day in the duties of our situation in life our state in life um, for me, as a ma- as a married man, as a husband, a father, a provider, protector, and leader for my family, those are the things that matter. Not my bank account, not uh, the vacations I take my kids on. Um, you know, in COVID days, it shakes a lot of these things loose, doesn't it? It really exposes a lot of the the heart of the family. Thanks be to God, it strips away a lot of things that are distractions, diversions, and dispersions from living family life. In, in accord with God's purpose and plan. And so I think you can see how I've done both. I've talked about COVID-19 clearly as I would call it a punishment from God, that God has truly just rest- withheld, restrained some of his mercy and allowed some of the consequence of our own sins 
to have their way with us. We're beginning to get what we deserve in what we have allowed to occur here on earth through our sins. And yet there's a gift here because of the th way that things are being shaken down, things are being exposed, and we are getting back to what's really important and what really matters. All right, I'm up against a break. When we come back in a minute, I'm going to continue to reflect on the four last things. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sun Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. I'm reflecting on, uh, real, I'm be, you know, he, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Uh, I'm beginning by reflecting on heaven and trying to draw a line between some of the more profound experiences of communion, union with, life-giving union, uh, joy-bringing union that we experience here on earth, and just let us reflect on the way that those are just glimpses and tastes of the reality of union with God and with each other in heaven that we're made for. We're called upon to begin to have a foretaste of that in the reality of the church, where we experience communion in Christ that elevates us into that reality that we're children of God. It's something that we ought to experience in the fundamental cell of society, the domestic church, the first cell of the church is in family life. And so we're called upon as husbands and wives, and if God blesses you with children, to experience those realities and foster and nurture a communion of persons in our own family lives. But to restrain ourselves from the temptation to think that, well, we just want to circle the wagons and experience a communion of persons here on earth, here and now. Let's plant stakes in the ground. Let's build up a building the last here when it's all going to crumble. This is not what we were made. We were made for communion, but we were not made for life on earth, this fallen, not fully redeemed earth as the place to enjoy the perfect fulfillment of our desires. That's heaven. Now we await a new heavens and a new earth. When Christ returns and we experience the final judgment, there will then be the definitive manifestation of God's creative power through a new heavens and a new earth where we will enjoy life together. What will that be like? We don't know. But uh, it will be, it will have some linkage back to the life we experience now, but it'll go far beyond in ways that we can't even imagine. Okay, standing between us in that reality is something called death. Now, you, you know that we talked about that. Well, you know. Uh, we could go Monday um, with Father Nagel and Father Lewis. I talked about uh, uh, the reality of death as the catechism talked about it. So we're going to slide forward to the reality of judgment. Speaking of which, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. On Monday, we might be doing the first session of our, I, I call it the first session, uh, our next book club, which is on Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. 
because um, with COVID uh, impacting things the way they have, um, it's harder to get people together. Even though we're socially distanced, it's harder to get people together. And so we may not be able to do a book club um, this Monday. So we'll say a prayer for that. If it's meant to be, it'll be. If not, we'll have to hold off for a week or so. So, um, but pick up the book. It's amazing. Live Not By Lies. It's an amazing book. Um, you, you've heard me mention it already. Uh, I've been kind of sitting on a whole bunch of content waiting for us to talk about it. Uh, and then I can unleash that content upon the program beyond the book club as well. Okay, so uh, so we talked a bit about death. Now what about judgment, right? And this is important. Right? This is important because remember now, we want to pray for, and the Catechism even talked about this. We didn't get to this particular quote, but the Catechism uh, in 1014 uh, and 1013 lays out this reality that, um, that uh, death is the end of life on earth. Uh, 1013 says, death is the end of man's earthly pilgrimage of the time of grace and mercy, which God offers him so as to work out his earthly life in keeping with the divine plan and to decide his ultimate destiny. Uh, you know, that, that sentence, it's like, do we really think about that often? You know, I, I love to read every now and again from that book, Preparation for Death. I'll bring some quotes out by St. Alphonsus de Liguori. I, I bring out some quotes to you all because especially in these times where we have such shaking, such, such shifting and such exposure, oftentimes of ourselves to ourselves, of the life we're living to ourselves, but also of, of the the wider world around us, it just is something that um, makes me realize that, um, you know, do we really ponder sufficiently What's at stake in our today? That today may be the day where we go before our Lord, that we will face him. And are we ready? Death is the end of our earthly pilgrimage, of the time of grace and mercy. You know, we tend to think, okay, we'll die. And then the Lord will say, okay, quick, I'll give you 10 seconds before I come in the room to get yourself in order. (laughs) That's not what it says. It says that the time of grace and mercy which God offers us to work out our earthly life in keeping with the divine plan and to decide our ultimate destiny. We decide our ultimate destiny. That's heaven or hell. We decide it by how we live our lives on earth. And we don't know when that time on earth is going to end. When the single course of our earthly life is completed, we shall not return to other earthly lives. It is appointed for men to die once. There is no reincarnation after death. Ta-da! Very important to know that. I think that we have a sort of secret desire for a type of reincarnation, not in a, a Buddhist fashion where we continue to improve or go up or down until we eventually free ourselves from this cycle of uh, of um, of this cycle of um, what's the right word? Um, uh, this cycle of illusion, and we finally become free. No, it, it's not like that. We want a kind of soft American reincarnation where we can continue just to come back, and life is a journey, not a destination. And so we get to kind of live life again, and we kind of stay in our little bubble. No, that's not what we're made for. We are made in a forward direction. We are made towards God. Um, And so 
Paragraph 1014, the church encourages us to prepare ourselves for the hour of our death. In the ancient ancient litany of the saints, for instance, she has us pray, from a sudden and unforeseen death, deliver us, O Lord. From a sudden and unforeseen death, deliver us, O Lord. Now, isn't that funny? That um, when we think about, if I asked a hundred people, how would you want to die? If you had to choose the manner of your death, it would be, I want to die in my sleep. And it's amazing because there is this idea that dying in your sleep is, guess what? It's sudden and it's unforeseen. Um, unless you specify a lot more details, most people think, well, I just want to go to bed. I want to fall asleep and then I'll just die. In other words, they don't want to die in a, in a situation that involves a lot of pain and suffering that's extended out or that has some kind of like tragic um, like immediacy to it that is like right in front of you, but you see it coming, right? And and that's that's not a goal. I mean, the goal isn't dying in your sleep when you're not when you're not aware that it's going to be happening. And and because of that, we want to be praying to be preserved from that. We want to be ready. And so, for instance, um, my dad, um, his health is not good. You know, he hasn't had strong health for um, a number of years. Um, he's got a great spirit. He's a, he's a man of prayer, very faith-filled. But um, his body is, um, you know, in his final seasons. Um, and so, you know, he is someone who wants to be ready, wants to be ready to meet the Lord. And so recently when he had another bout of congestive heart failure, uh, I'm like, Dad, did you call the priest? Did you get the priest down there? I want the priest to come to the house, hear your confession, anoint you, give you viaticum, receive Holy Communion, right? Uh, one, uh, my dad called, you know, the, the, the triple whammy just to get the, the huge blessing of all of that, um, you know, for my dad. And, um, and so I ended up calling the priest, uh, the local, at the local pastor, um, who happened to be in the seminary the same time as I was. And he quickly got on it, called my dad, made an appointment, got down there the next day. Um, my dad's condition was bad enough where he basically heard his confession and then sent him off, uh, in an ambulance to the hospital. Um, where he spent several days with uh, congestive heart failure and recovering from that. And let me tell you, you know, for me, like, it was such a relief. It was a relief, yeah, that he was able to get in an ambulance and go to the hospital. But for me, the bigger relief is that he went to confession. He had a chance to go to confession. You know, in this COVID time, this is not a guarantee so as much as I care about my dad's physical health and well-being, and I do, as much as I care about my dad's physical health and well-being, and I do, I care that much more about my dad's spiritual well-being, about his spiritual health. I'm not going to just presume that, you know, we're all going to float our way into the encounter with the Lord in judgment and there be welcomed with open arms, good and faithful servant. This should not be our presumption for people 
who are not regularly practicing faith or not visibly practicing faith or who visibly are living in situations of serious sin, at least um, at, a, at a visible level, right? Um, and so to be able to help bring out that awareness is a great mercy. All right, back in a minute. Welcome back to Sun Insight. This is Tom Curran. So, you know, preserve me, Lord, from a sudden and unforeseen death. Deliver us, O Lord. Well, here's the funny thing. Um, I've got four brothers and sisters, and more than one of them were not very happy with me. <laughs> they weren't very happy with me that, you know, when I found out from my dad that he was not feeling well at all, that I called the priest and said, get down there and please visit my dad and um, help him be prepared spiritually because, you know, what's the, what's the more human reaction? The more human reaction is, um, you're going to, you're going to kill him. <laughs> you're going to kill him. You're going to send him a message that says, this is the last rites, right? And to call it the last rites is to, you know, basically say he's got a foot in the coffin, Right. And, and that's not what it's called. The sacrament is not referred to as the last rites, but as the anointing of the sick. And in that prayer, in that ritual of the anointing of the sick, you do have the option of praying for those who are, in fact, near to death. But you also have the opportunity to pray for those who are seriously ill, that they be restored to health. And so it's really up to the discernment of the priest and the in the situation that he's in taking care of the the one that's in front of him to pray in accord with the discernment of the moment. And so um, when I think about the fact that my dad, you know, was anointed or that he was that was the the intent and the plan. Unfortunately, he was only able at that moment to hear to have his confession heard. I'm like, okay, well that's that's good enough. That'll get him reconciled with the Lord and and ready um, to meet his maker if, in fact, something happened. Well, he recovered and he, he got home. And let me just say, he was thrilled that he was able to go to confession. And, you know, again, uh, what a beautiful gift confession is. It's a sacrament of healing. So to help him be spiritually in a sense of communion with the Lord brings peace. It brings, it's a spiritual resurrection. It brings consolation. But for those for whom confession or the anointing of the sick are somehow like potentially messages of judgment or shame, messages of threat and fear, those sadly for me are too often perspectives that are limited to this earth, that somehow death is, a, is simply and only a bad thing and a threat rather than a door and a path home. And so that's one of the things that I believe is, and you've heard me say this before in Sound Insight, one of the things that I believe is holding back many people from feeling a sense of um, peace and freedom in the midst of a COVID environment that many people are frankly shaken out of a comfortable life that has a bubble quality to it. 
um, a bubble, you know, you hear a lot about the bubble of those people that are outside your bubble. Many people have been living a bubble life before COVID that has just been limited to this earth and a life that involves either getting so busy and involved in things of this earth or so comfortable and just enjoying the satisfactions of this earth that guess what? Who wants to take a look at the the idea that this earth is going to be stripped from you and you're going to be facing, well, what for you is an unknown thing, an unknown outcome. But you know what? It doesn't look good. People aren't coming back from it. And so death becomes this big threat to be avoided, ignored, uh, or somehow shut out at all costs rather than, wait a minute, it's the door home. Christ already went through death. He went through your death too. He's risen from the dead. He came back. He revealed himself as risen from the dead. He ascended to the heavens. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to send you my spirit. Now his spirit lives in us. We cry out, Abba, Father. We can sense even now with the very eyes of Christ through faith, hope, and love. We can sense the presence of the Father. We see the glory of an almighty God who created this world. We sense that he's providentially caring for this world. And if it's in a time of darkness, bring it on. It's time to become a saint. It's time to step up and live a mission here on earth for what is true, good, and beautiful, because we see all of those forces and all of those positions and all of those ideas that run counter to God and counter to the Catholic faith lead to what? Personal destruction, family destruction, communal destruction, and world destruction. It just does. Show me a culture and a people that flourish with peace and joy, with love and mercy, with a sense of dignity, respect, and honor among human beings where there's not faith in Jesus Christ. It just doesn't. It's not a thing. It's just not a thing. It's through faith in Christ that people become set free from sin. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that people have the power of the Holy Spirit to live in a way that is glorifying to God and that is able to reconcile uh, those who are in conflict, uplift those who have had their dignity stripped from them, able to forgive hurts and wrongs, able to restore relationships, able to build dignity, to relieve suffering, to provide meaning in times of darkness. Christ is the truth for every human being, not just for Christians. Christ is the truth for every human being. He is the savior of every human being. And these human beings deserve to learn about Jesus Christ, to accept him into their lives, into their marriages, into their homes, to present them to their children so that they can know freedom. We just don't appreciate what we've been given when we've been given a vibrant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is reality. This is reality. It's not just one opinion, one position among others. It is the truth that came from God. It is the truth that we are witnesses of. And if so, uh, if necessary, we will witness with our very lives, with our very blood, everything on the line, because that's the call. That's what we've been given the gift of. So um, at the end of this life, we will meet the Lord in judgment. Now, let's dig into that a little bit. Paragraph 1021 says, death puts an end to human life as the time open to either accepting or rejecting 
the divine grace manifested in Christ. So there's something at stake. There's something at stake when we live right now, and that is, will we be ready? Will we be ready when we meet the Lord at the end of our lives? The New Testament speaks of judgment primarily in its aspect of the final encounter with Christ in his second coming, but also repeatedly affirms that each will be rewarded immediately after death in accordance with his works and faith. And so it talks about a final destiny of the soul, a destiny which can be different for some and for others. Paragraph 1022. Each man receives his eternal retribution in his immortal soul at the very moment of his death in a particular judgment that refers his life to Christ. Either entrance into the blessedness of heaven through a purification or immediately, that's purgatory, or immediately, that's going directly to heaven, or immediate and everlasting damnation. Okay, there was a lot said in that about at the moment of our death, at the very moment of death, we come into what's called a particular judgment, particular to you as compared to the universal judgment. So the particular judgment is contrasted with the general judgment, the individual judgment as contrasted to the, uh, to the uh, universal judgment. And so uh, there is the judgment you face after death, and then there's the judgment that all humanity faces. And so right here, the catechism is just focused on the particular judgment. That's your judgment at the moment of your death. Now, stop and think about this for a moment. Um, we can worry so much about trying to figure out the signs. Is Christ coming again? Is Christ coming again? And I'm like, look, worry less about Christ coming for the second time to earth and worry more about your going to God for the one and only time. <laughs> you know, Christ coming a second time, you can spend a lot of time speculating about that. And the likelihood that it's going to happen in your lifetime, you won't know. You just don't know. But what you do know is this. You will be, you don't have to speculate, you will be encountering Christ in judgment. You will. And whether or not that happens at the second coming in the course of your life, or whether it happens at the hour, the moment of your death, um, it's going to happen. So be ready for it, because there's an outcome, and that outcome is heaven or hell. Now, it mentions how, and it mentions by referring our lives to Christ. And, you know, there are different ways of referring to this. I'll just give you one as we're approaching the end of the program, that the judge who is there judging you at your judgment is Christ crucified. It's Christ crucified that is the revelation to you of what he did for you and what you did to him. That Christ crucified is a revelation of our judgment. It reveals to us just what Jesus Christ, what God did to us, God did for us in Christ and what Christ did for us, but it also reveals what we did to him. For we share in the work of crucifying Jesus through our sins. That's quite a judgment. All right, I'm up against the end of my program. <laughs> 